Thanks for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. We live in a world of glitz, marketing, spin, and hype. From products and politicians to the latest styles and apps, it seems like everything is oversold and underdelivers. And all the while, underneath it all, the grace of God that made us and continues to sustain us holds out a promise. This past Sunday at Storyline's Gathering, we took another look at how the grace of God, accepted and embraced, can begin to change everything about life in our life. The band performed songs by Harry Styles, Will Reagan, Need to Breathe, and more. Let's have a listen.
kind of blurry. It's better. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Oh. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. Bears do not... What is going on? What are you doing? Last week, I was in a drugstore, and I saw these glasses. Uh, $4. And it only cost me $7 to recreate the rest of the ensemble, and that's a grand total of... $11. You know what? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, so I thank you. Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Good morning, Storyline. So good to be together. I missed that show. Oh, my goodness. That was such, such a great show, The Office. So the school year starts tomorrow. And uh, if you're seeing, yeah, <laughs> yeah moms are thrilled. Woohoo! Everybody else, I don't know about that. Um, but uh, this time of year, as a teacher, you know, this is what I'm trying to gear up for this. I'm so excited. But this time of year, teachers are thinking about, well, a lot of things. Like, do I really want to do this again? And, uh, but we're also thinking about what do we want our students, students to learn? And as a history teacher, one of the things that I want them to realize, I want all my, my students to realize through the course of the year is that um, even though it seems like change happens very, very quickly, um, because oftentimes we mark different aspects, different time frames in history with an event, right? Like we call it the golden age or, you know, whatever, the industrial revolution. And there was some event that happened. Um, most of the time, when we really peek beneath the surface, most change happens over time. It happens gradually, almost imperceptibly. So, for example, in Western civilization, for example, the Reformation changed everything about the way that Western Christianity was practiced. And though we often associate it with Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the door of the, of the church, when we really look at what happened there, there have been a lot of things shifting long before that event. The American Revolution is another perfect example of this. It changed everything about how a country could see itself and govern itself. And, and we rightly associate it with really a series of events, um, primarily the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But again, when we peek beneath the surface, we realize there are lots of contributing factors to this massive change. World War II can be seen this way, so can Vietnam, so can 9-11, big events that seem to usher in change instantaneously. But in all these cases, there's always a backstory. There, there's something before and beneath the event that actually led to the change. And to a large extent, that is what we have been talking about together the last four weeks in our series that we're calling Grace Changes Everything. Now, too often, religion and people who like to talk about it assume that grace is an event 
this big dramatic thing that suddenly and, dr and dramatically changes everything about a person. And, and certainly that can be the case at times. But most of the time, it doesn't work that way. It, if we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he did have this miraculous event this road, we call it a road to Damascus event because that's where it happened, where he, he describes like a vision of Jesus, scales literally fell from his eyes and everything changed for him in that moment, in that instant. But that really is the exception, even in the Bible. So consider another apostle, the, the apostle Peter. Peter's transformation is much more of a story and this is typically how human beings change. It's over time, as subtle but profound experiences in and around our life take shape, and then often in fits and starts, and one step up, two steps back, uh, we adopt a new perspective. We take on a new direction. And so in this series, the hope is, is that we'll begin to see not only that grace does indeed change everything, but that usually doesn't do so as some single aha moment, you know, a spectacular pow event that happens. Grace is much more like a backstory. It's a story that began before us, a story that runs beneath us, and it is only as we discover it that we begin the process, the journey, the story of our life changing. So what we're hoping to do by considering how grace changes everything in, in certain aspects of life is to look at that deep story of grace before and beneath our lives to remind us that God is always at work in us, around us, with us, through us, and for us. So this morning's talk is gonna be a little bit of a summary of where we've been this month. And we're gonna add a couple more observations to how grace changes identity. And then next month, after next week's picnic, um, we're gonna do a few more weeks on how grace changes several other aspects of life. And real quickly, I wanna just do a quick shout out for the picnic, because here's the thing, this is, Probably my favorite thing about Storyline, as much as I love what we do when we're together and the way that our church lives out our faith in the community and things like that, by far my favorite part of Storyline is the people. And um, this, what we do when we're together doesn't look normal, and a lot of that is because you guys aren't normal. And so, <laughs> all right, maybe I'm not normal too, but look, if you're a part of this, let me put it this way. If you're a part of this community, if you resonate with Storyline, you have a story. You know, I, I joke about this being a plan B community. Like, if you're here, this is plan B. Something has gone sideways, some way, somehow, in your life, right? Um, and maybe it was something you did or didn't do or some reaction that you have to the status quo or whatever. My, my point is, is that the picnic is such a great chance to actually sit and chat with people that we see week to week here. And if I could encourage you to come and just ask one question of each other. Plop down to somebody that you see all the time. Maybe you think you should know their name, but you don't. That's okay, they probably don't know yours, okay? And just ask this question, why storyline? 
That's the question I ask all the time. And it is so encouraging and so inspiring to hear people describe their story, how they got here, why they're here. So anyway, that's my commercial for the picnic, and I'm really, I'm hoping to see everybody there next week. It's going to be great. Okay, quick recap for where we've been the last three weeks. And the first week we considered the question, what are we made for? And the short answer we discovered is that we are blessed to be a blessing. And I had so many emails and texts and several face-to-face conversations about that particular talk that I wanna share one more idea about it, really, that I hope will kind of round it out a little bit. In one conversation, I tried to reframe that talk uh, with somebody by comparing what we were made for to Christmas morning. So imagine instead of asking Santa Claus for what you want, asking Santa instead to give you the very best gift that he could ever give. So that's what you ask Santa for, okay? And the idea in this analogy is if grace changes everything, if it changes what we were made for, then I think Santa would give every person in the world the same exact gift. We would open our present, take the lid of the box off, and discover that he has given us our very own Santa suit. That is what he would do. Santa would be blessing us to be a blessing in that situation. God gave us life so that we could do what he does, give life. The blessing that we are blessed with is to be a blessing to others. That is what we were made for. That is the essence of how grace changes everything. Week two of this month, Paul shared about how grace changes community. In other words, the way that we see and interact with one another. And that's a point that we're actually going to circle back to this morning as we take a second look this morning at what we started last Sunday, which is how does grace change our identity? How we form a sense of self and feel a sense of worth. So what we are made for how we see each other, and how we see ourselves. These are critical aspects to everyone's backstory, to this deep, rolling undercurrent of our life. Now, these are not things that we think about moment to moment. They're probably not the things we think about day to day or weekly or even monthly. But when these things, when these things begin to change, they end up changing everything. On the other hand, as we take a second look at how grace changes our identity this morning, I'd like to throw out this idea that apart from the grace of God, it is incredibly difficult for us to know the difference between who we really are and some alter ego that we've taken on or has been foisted upon us because our true identity has been stolen. A staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. 
And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. It's really a fascinating point. As somebody who likes superhero movies, something I never really thought of before I saw that scene from Kill Bill. And it really is true. Superman is who that character is. Clark Kent is the costume, is the facade. So last Sunday, we looked at a passage written by none other than Peter, the Apostle Peter, who I referenced earlier, a man that the Bible takes great pains to show how long and difficult it was for him to find the Superman underneath his Clark Kent. Uh, this is what Peter wrote about a grace-based identity. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And we discovered a few things. We made a few observations last week. And the first one is that chosen means, another way to put this is, we're accepted right now, accepted at our worst as we are. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in another passage that we were chosen before the creation of the world, in case we're not picking up on the concept. Before we do anything good or bad, right or wrong, believe the right thing or don't believe it all, before we get an A or an F, come in first or come in last, we are chosen before the creation of the world. And the second thing we looked at last week is this belonging to God. And that tells us that we are highly valued. We are like priceless to God. So to kind of sum up where we, we, what we discovered last week, when it comes to our identity, we are completely acceptable and extremely valuable. Those are the first two aspects of our identity, of a grace-based identity that, that we need to like grab hold of and trust in if we're, if we're gonna tap into this backstory, this undercurrent the grace that's, that came before us and is running beneath us and wants to take us forward in a certain direction. But that isn't all. Peter doesn't stop there. That's not all that he's trying to tell us. He says, by grace, we are also holy. Now, this is a word we don't use very often. We certainly don't use it here. It's kind of packed with all kinds of religious connotations. But essentially, uh, the biblical term or the biblical um, uh, terminology for holiness is to be perfect and pure. Okay, and according to the Bible, by grace, in God's eyes, we are. We are holy. And God, because he's God, loves holiness, which tells us that we are eternally loved. 
eternally loved. Now I know the question that's resounding in my head every time somebody says, you know, God loves you. And I can hear you thinking it. We always ask the question, why? We talked about this a little bit last week. Why? Whenever we're told God loves you, the question is, is always the same. Why? We keep asking this question because except for our own little children, when we love others, we do it only for a good reason. That's how we love. Last week, preparing for the talk, I emailed the parents of everybody, uh, all storyliners who have a child in the nursery or in the, the next group up, the pre-K group. And um, a lot of folks sent in pictures. It was really cool. And by a lot of folks sent in pictures, I mean a lot of people sent in a lot of pictures. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. Often, there was almost always a note attached like, I'm so sorry, I couldn't choose just one. So I'd just get this photo shoot of Olive, you know, or like, it's so funny. Anyways, so now why did that happen? Because all parents think their child is beautiful. Or to put it in a biblical term for this morning, think they're perfect, pure, or holy, if you will. And look, I agree. If you see our storyline children, you see our, our little ones, we saw it last week. We have gorgeous kids at this church. It's amazing, especially because I know some of their parents. But, but all the parents, all parents think their child is beautiful. Why? Because they love them. And this is the key. Catch this. Parents don't love their children because they're beautiful. They see them as beautiful because they love them. We all know that, right? Because we've all seen the random non-storyline child and like, whoa, that's a face only a mom could love, right? Don't, just, you can admit it. You guys get to laugh and, and not seem as big of a jerk as me because you're in the dark, all right? But you know it's true. But in normal human affairs, we don't love this way. We reserve our love. We wait to see if the other is holy in our eyes, like deserving, if there's something beautiful about them to love. And of course, there's nothing wrong with loving things about other people or our own children, celebrating their gifts, rejoicing over all they accomplish. But that isn't love for them. It's love about them. Divine love, on the other hand, is eternal. It's unconditional. Think of it this way. This is hard to wrap our heads around. God loves everyone all the time like we love our own infants. That's God's stance toward everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time because they're his because they're his period the bible says i have loved you my people with an everlasting love with unfailing love i have drawn you to myself god's love for us is eternal it is unconditional and it is unending if we miss this 
the love of God won't mean much to us. It, it will just be another bar that we always have to clear. Another judge, only this one can't be fooled. You can't fool God. So in some ways, it's the worst kind of love to accept, right? Because we're always gonna be checking. We know God is always gonna be checking to see if we're acceptable, if we're valuable, if we're lovable. And so, we all are always haunted. Did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Did I give enough? Am I enough for God to love me? And God, or the apparatus of religion surrounding God, just becomes yet another bar that we have to clear, another minefield that we have to navigate to try and belong, be accepted, and be loved. Keeping me from 
She somehow won the uh, Fairs Talent Contest with that song. I know. Jobs and I, I guess it was a thin year out there. I don't know. I, we were there, and I thought the kid who roped the goat was pretty good, but whatever. I wasn't a judge. Anyway. So, look, God's love is eternal. It, this is, it's not a minefield that we have to navigate. God isn't moody, he isn't fickle, God doesn't have bad hair days. God's love for us is not about what we can and can't do or have or haven't done. God's love is, well, it, it literally is his identity. It is who he is. The Bible actually goes so far as to put it this way, to try and help us grasp this grace. It says, God is love. Now, we are completely accepted, extremely valued, and eternally loved because God is love. It doesn't say God has love or that God is loving, though both of those are true. It says God is love. It is the essence of who he is. One theologian claims that the only reason love exists in the universe at all is because God is love. If God was not love, we would be incapable of love. And here's what this means, when we or anyone regardless of what they believe about God, if anything at all. When we love anything or anyone, we are channeling God. We're manifesting who God is into the world. God is literally living through us. The Bible says that God's love is eternal and his faithfulness lasts forever. We may falter and fail, doubt and give in, but God will never be unfaithful to us because God doesn't wait to love us or to be faithful to us. God acts, he doesn't react. God initiates, he doesn't respond. God is love, unconditional, unending, eternal love. And because of that, this is who we are This is our durable identity that we can take into all the situations and contexts of life. We are acceptable, valuable, lovable. It's transformational when we tap into that backstory, into that undercurrent of life. The last observation that I wanna make about this passage, I'd like to highlight from this passage is this one, that we are also fully capable, fully capable. Peter puts it this way. You are a royal priesthood. 
Now, when our self-image, when our identity, how we see ourselves is steeped in grace and built upon grace, it, as we said before, it forms our identity and it leads to something. It leads us into how we feel our sense of worth. That's the other part of identity, how we see ourselves, okay, and how we uh, sense value and worth in life. So Peter is saying, because this is who we are, acceptable, valuable, and lovable, because this is our durable identity that we carry into every and all situations in all contexts of life, we don't enter into each day needing to get something from life. We enter into each day yearning to give something to life. Psychologist Eric Erickson was um, talking about this tension between how we enter into life. Is life something for us to go out and get something from, or is it the opportunity to go out and give something to? And he called it the developmental crisis of each and every human being, and this is what he said. People will either achieve generativity, a way of serving others, or sink into stagnation. I love it when the ancient wisdom of the Bible and what modern science tells us about human flourishing come together like this, like they always do. You know, there's a new program, I was reading about it just yesterday. There's a new program of study being piloted at some of our best universities, but I know for sure they're at Stanford and at Notre Dame and the University of Chicago. And this program, it's called different things at, at different universities, but essentially it's helping to guide people through the end of their careers into a fulfilling future and, and what they termed in this piece I was reading yesterday, the encore years, okay? And basically the idea is, is that Americans are living longer, we're living um, healthier longer, and oftentimes people reach retirement age and they're like world killers. They went out there for decades and rose through the ranks and got to the very top of their profession and now they, they wanna retire and they do so and like their identity is a little, was attached to that. And maybe in ways that helped them achieve but then now in ways that are not helping them to flourish. And so these universities have started these programs to help people in their late 50s to mid 70s kind of sit down, take stock and go, you know, what am I going to do with my encore years? And, and this is the essence of what the best of modern scholarship has to tell us about human flourishing. This is what they say in these courses, in these programs. The key shift is to go from master to servant. to go from master to servant, or what the Bible calls priesthood. Priesthood. You are royal priests, chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God. Now, priest is probably not how you think of yourself. Like, me a priest? Hmm? I don't think so, right? And I know a lot of you, I don't see you as priests either, trust me, okay? <laughs> Right, anyway, but, but what, do priests, what do priests essentially do? They really do two things. They represent man to God, and they represent God 
to man. And I know this sounds huge, it sounds daunting, it sounds so complicated, but Peter is saying that when we live in our identity, we are fully capable of doing that. We are fully capable of doing that. The reason this seems so intimidating is not because of the actual role of a priest, but what we have done to this role over the centuries. So let me be clear before I say say more about priests, all right? There is nothing wrong with people who are officially, as in vocationally, priests or pastors or clergy, folks who go to school for a long time, they get the diploma, they have the uniform and all the swag. In fact, I've been asking for one of these things for years. Okay, and they keep telling me it's not in the budget, whatever, okay? I don't even know what that thing is, but how sweet would that be to come out swinging that thing one day? That commands respect right there. That smoking stick, I have no clue. But so cool. Anyway, being an official priest in this or that church or denomination, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. The challenge for the rest of us is If we're not careful, we will think only professional priests are priests. And that is not the case according to the Bible. Essentially, the role of the priest is to live in such a way that we open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light so that through their faith in me, this is God speaking, they will receive their place among God's chosen people. Now, how do we do that? Okay, Paul talked about this a couple weeks ago when he talked about community. We do that when we love like God loves. Well, how did God open our eyes? We accept people as they are, we value people highly, and we love people like crazy. We see and we treat all people as completely acceptable, extremely valuable, and eternally lovable. How, specifically? Well, that's why each one of us is a priest in our own way. Each of us do so in our own way, for each in their own way. When it comes to living out God's love for others, one size fits one. One size fits one. For very few of us will our priesthood take on the form of speaking from a stage or performing rituals or guiding religious ceremonies or going to a special school, wearing special garments. Again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but don't let the fact that God calls a few people to be professional priests strip the rest of us of the sense of worth and purpose and meaning and value. We are wired to desire and experience when we are living out our priesthood, loving people toward God in our way for them. Martin Luther called this, it was a huge part of the Reformation, he called this the priesthood of all believers. And the implication was that everyone has direct access to God, why? Because we are all by God's grace, acceptable, valuable, and lovable. But the the indirect implication is that this also means we are capable. We are fully capable of loving others toward God when we accept people as they are and value people for who they are and love people even where they are. When we do that, we are a royal priesthood. 
you know, from the very beginning, Storyline has held on to just a few things very, very closely. And one of the things that we have talked about from the very beginning, before Storyline had a name, is that the largest untapped resource in the world today is the priesthood of all believers. The loving hearts of those who have accepted their acceptance but have not been unleashed to love. What if the problem with the church today, the reason that so many people are leaving is not because church is boring, but because the church is bored. When we make the priesthood only for professionals, not only is that not enough people to fulfill the mission of God, it leaves a massive part of our true identity latent, untapped, unactivated. We sit in pews like Clark Kent when God is inviting us to remember we're actually Superman. That's who we really are in his eyes and with him and for him and through him, we can be for one another. That really is a huge part of the backstory of Storyline, if you must know. Every Sunday, we put together a gathering, it doesn't always work, but we put together a gathering that we hope will do primarily one thing, awaken the priest in all of us. Awaken the priest in all of us. That is actually what's really going on here this morning. This is not about making church less boring, though I hope this isn't boring. Or, or it, this really isn't even about trying to get people somehow magically to to walk through the door, to get people here. It's about hoping to get all of us out there with the broken heart of a priest. Our goal, my hope, is that when we walk out of here today, our hearts will be a little more broken for someone we know and love because we believe that this is a place and a people that they would resonate with, that, that our friends who don't know that God loves them or don't think that they're lovable, that they would find this compelling. And, and, and that's the conviction. If we can walk out of here with that, if people walk out of here, and if you walk out of here today and go, oh my gosh, my friend loves that movie Kill Bill. That would have just blown them away. Or Sinai's voice is amazing, unbelievable. I know I have to bring my friend here. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a space that you believe your friends would love to activate the priest in you. So the secret sauce isn't what we're doing from the stage, it's the broken hearts of everybody, activated, living out the faith that God's given us. So I hear a lot of things about storyline and not much of it can be repeated in this setting, but my, my favorite goes something like this. Oh, I wish my friend so-and-so would have been here. I wish my friend so-and-so would have been here. When I hear that, I know that at least for this small aspect of, of what God has called us to do, that part's working. That's, that's the most we can ask from this setting. So when, when we walk out of here going, oh, I wish so-and-so, I've got to find a way to include or invite so-and-so to, to come and see, two things happen at once. The first is, it's the best thing for others. It's the best thing for the world when those who are walking with Jesus activate their priesthood. This is exactly how Jesus plans to love the world right. It's through us all or not at all. 
And the second thing that happens is it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. When we are for others, when we are living out our priesthood, when our identity is based in grace and we trust that we are acceptable, valuable, and lovable, that means we're fully capable and we grow when we go. We find a sense, we find a sense of self-worth and value when we're not just living in grace, but when we're living out grace. This is why we talk so often about the best church for you is the church that isn't for you because we are a royal priesthood. In your family, at your place of work, at your school, you are the acceptable, valuable, lovable, and fully capable priest of God. The Bible says the capacity we have comes from God. It is he who made us capable of serving. Look, I get no one feels this way. We all see people all around us and it seems like everyone has it all together, but I promise you that no one really feels that way. No one. We all try to look like Superman, but we all feel like Clark Kent. That's the case. I don't feel capable. I promise you I'm a hot mess. Talk to my wife afterwards. She will tell you, I'm up and I'm down. I believe and I doubt. I give generously one minute and then I shade the truth the next minute. I love people and then I resent them. I trust God to save my life and then I struggle to sleep on Saturday night because I'm so worried about what I'm gonna say and sound like the next morning. We all have hidden insecurities about our capabilities and it's because we're holding on to the wrong story. The story everyone else has told us about who we are and how we find value or who we need to be in order to be accepted, valued, and loved. It's a dreadmill and it's a lie. Grace changes everything because it fundamentally changes who we are. It changes our backstory. It changes our identity and how we experience a sense of worth and value. And we can lean on our own understanding, our own way of forming our sense of self and finding our sense of worth, or we can let go of all that, hold on to nothing, and, and trust in God and his grace.
Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So identity theft, really, it really is no joke. And it does happen to us. It happens all the time. When we first hear as little kids that we aren't good enough or smart enough or athletic enough or talented enough, we lose part of who we are. And I've heard it from too many people too many times. Losing my job stole my identity. The divorce stole my identity. The empty nest, retirement, sickness stole my identity. Too often in our day-to-day life, how we see ourselves and how we sense our worth and value has been lost, eroded, and distorted. Yet right here and right now, we can recognize, we can take stock, we can remember and look for, we can cling to the slow, persistent, and ever-present grace of God that's rolling deeply underneath the surface of our story all the time. It's the invitation into reclaiming who we really are because of God's grace. We are acceptable, valuable, lovable, and capable. And when we trust God, not just for this thing or about that situation, but for who and about we, who we are, our very identity, how we form a sense of self and how we feel a sense of worth, we'll find that we've entered back into God's story and the process where slowly but surely his grace changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time and this place and this opportunity to be together. God, I pray that you would help us to see all of the ways that you grace our life not just the big obvious ways, not just the big events, but in the everyday, the hourly, the minute by minute, heartbeat to heartbeat, breath to breath ways. Help us to see that you love in ways that we can't even comprehend and that so much of life comes down to which story are we going to believe and trust in. Pray that you would give us the faith to, to trust in you. God, I pray that as we leave this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Hope to see you at the picnic next week. Thank you for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.